Well, happy Mother's Day, New City Church. So glad that you are joining us today. Hey, we are in a series in the book of Colossians called Hold On. The big idea of the series is uh, we want to hold on to the one who's holding it all together. And Jesus is doing that. He's holding it all together. And I want you to know, Mom, if you're struggling to hold it all together, Jesus has you, okay? He's here for you. And I hope this message will be encouraging uh, to you today. And so if you're sitting next to a mom somewhere, uh, go ahead and turn to your mom and say, Happy Mother's Day. Maybe you should pull out your phone and just text your mom, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, let her know you care for her. Okay, well, our reading today uh, was a shorter reading than the total scope of our text. So we're going to be looking at Colossians 2. 8 to 23. Our reading went through verse 15, uh, but we'll be looking at the whole text today. So if you've got a Bible and you want to pull it out and follow along, that's where we'll be. <clears throat> a big idea in the message today is this. Christians freed by Jesus can still live like slaves held captive. It is true that Christians who have been freed by Jesus can still live like slaves who are held captive. In fact, that's the warning in Colossians 2.8. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Like Paul doesn't want the church to be held captive. And that is, in fact, his audience. Look at Colossians 1-2. He addresses the entire letter here to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And so he's speaking here to the church. He's saying, church, I don't want you to be held captive when you have been freed by Jesus. And we can be held captive by what we think, and we we can become held captive by who we serve. And you'll see in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He says, I want you to be careful that you don't get held captive to human tradition or religious practice in service of the elemental spirits of the world, the powers of the world. In other words, he's saying Jesus is greater than religion. Don't go after the lesser thing when you have the greater thing in Jesus. You see, religion has the power to condemn you, but does not have the power to save you. That's why the Apostle Paul calls religion a shadow. It's a shadow of the real thing. You see that in Colossians 2.17. These are, religious practices are, a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. Jesus is the real thing. Religion is a shadow of the real thing. You see, the purpose of the law, what I mean by law is uh, Old Testament law or any law, really, that exposes your weakness. The purpose of the law is to say, you need a Savior. But the purpose of Jesus is to say, I am your Savior. That's why the, Paul, that's why the Apostle Paul says in, Gal- in Galatians 3.24, So then... The law was a guardian, or some translations say a tutor until Christ came. It was a a teacher that helps you to understand that you needed a Savior, and when Christ came, He was the Savior, the thing the law had been pointing to. See, religion has the power to expose your sin, but lacks the power to overcome your sin. And so you see in Colossians 2.23, Paul says, These religious practices have indeed an appearance of wisdom. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't address the real issue of our sin. So religion can enslave you, but it cannot 
save you. It can expose your slavery to sin. It can actually enslave you to patterns and habits of activity to try to work your way out of sin, but it doesn't offer any real remedy. It can only point to the remedy. Uh, Paul says in Romans 8.15, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Uh, you were given a spirit of adoption, so you cry out to God as Alpha Father. He says you, you weren't given a spirit of slavery, but one of freedom. But the spirit of slavery, that drives you to feelings like fear and anxiety and worry. But that's not the spirit you have. You see, Paul says in Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captives, that no one makes you a slave. You see, whatever power or authority that you think will save you, that's, that's your enslaving idol. Whatever power or authority you think will save you, that's the idol that you actually worship. And idolatry is worship. Uh, what Paul has in mind here in verse 8 is the elemental spirits of the world, the powers of the world that some were tempted to serve, these powers. Uh, we addressed this like a couple weeks ago in our study in Colossians, how uh, there were these sort of powers that were given names often and were served and were like, were like idols that were being petitioned to or, or served in such a way to, find, to gain favor from. And he says in Colossians 2.20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, why do you submit to them? Like, why are you still serving these idols? Why are you still living religiously when you've been saved and redeemed and freed by the blood of Jesus? You see, when you perform on the stage of life, you will be able to discern. Like, when you look at yourself performing on the stage of life, you will be able to discern what your idol is or who your idol is. See, when you perform on the stage of life, you just got to pay attention to yourself here. When you perform on the stage of life, whose applause are you listening for? You will be able to identify your idol based upon the applause that you listen for. So when you do something really great in the workplace, whose affection do you want first and foremost? Who's, whose admiration are you looking for when you succeed in life? That will expose your idol. See, idolatry is worship, and worship is what we do, how we perform what we do uh, in service to uh, a God, in service to uh, whoever or whatever we have, as we've given our allegiance to, whatever we're seeking for our salvation. And idols form your personal value around your religious service to that idol. Uh, this is the way idols work. They, they, they wrap your value around your performance. Uh, they wrap your, your worth around your religious activity. And you see in Colossians 2.20, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits, why do you submit to the regulations? Why do you keep giving in to the system of religion, like do not handle and do not taste and do not touch? And in verse 8, he calls them the, uh, according to human tradition, according to uh, the sort of the pattern of religious behavior. And what religions do is religions will say, you are saved by what you do. And they'll try to have you seeking salvation through effort. So I, idolatry is worship. Idols form your personal value around your religious service to the idol. And idols will control your thoughts about yourself with the fear of judgment. This, this is what I think Paul has in mind when he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See to it that your mind doesn't, uh, you don't give your mind over to bad ideas. And those bad ideas hold you captive. He says in Colossians 2.22, 
He says, according to the human precepts and teachings, according to this sort of the, the sort of base, sort of natural way of thinking, uh, don't 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 give yourself into those kinds that kind of thinking. They have an appearance of wisdom. This idea that you can work really hard and, and find your approval. This idea that you could uh, you could succeed enough to cover your 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 sinful past. This idea that you could work hard enough to to finally matter in life. That you could somehow satisfy the desires of an idol in your life. These have these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, but they they really lack value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See what happens is religion raises the bar while giving you no hope of success. Religion says, do more, try harder, but doesn't enable you in any way to actually get over the bar. And I think there are three common idols that we are tempted to give into in American society. It's probably not just probably true of other societies. I can only speak to my own cultural experience. And these are the things that I've observed in my own life, and maybe you've observed them in your life as well. That there are three common idols that seem to show up. This, the idol of approval seeking. Uh, the idol of, of acceptance seeking, uh, the, the idol of performanceism, looking to, to prove my worth by my performance, or looking to prove my worth by who accepts me, or looking to prove my worth by the approval of others. <laughs> Let me, by the way, okay, maybe, you know, we're in a spot right now in, in the teaching uh, where you might have just had the thought. Um, I'm not doing really great at anybody's approval right now, and I'm not doing really great at being well accepted. In fact, I've, I've been far away from my friends and relationships for some time now in social distancing, and my performance has really plummeted now that I'm doing all of these things that I'm doing in light of this, you know, the, the COVID-19 stay-at-home quarantine, all of those things, you know? And if you are serving the idols of performance and acceptance and approval seeking, then this pandemic is brutalizing you. Like if you have wrapped your identity around your ability to perform, uh, you, you, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I want you to know that nobody right now is slaying this. <laughs> I, I, I just believe that to be true. Like nobody is slaying this right now. And, every, and everyone is seeing, in some level, their performance dip. And in some level, they're seeing uh, just, just their relationship strained. And at some level, uh, they, they are, are seeing even, even their relationship with their direct reports at work being strained. And, and I, I can tell you that nobody's slaying it right now. And if these are your idols, I mean, this is where you find your worth and your value, approval, acceptance, and performance, uh, you're hurting. I mean, you're hurting in a significant way right now. You see, the primary weapon that the enemy uses in your life is accusation. In fact, in, in the book of Revelations, we see that the enemy is called the accuser who accuses the brethren day and night. Religion is such a, such a brutal, brutally imprisoning... Uh, let me say it this way. Re religion not only imprisons you, religion can have the capacity to brutalize you. Because what religion does is, is raises the bar so high. And, and those of us who really like to achieve will go after that and we'll try our best to achieve. But you are a sinner in need of grace. If you're an imperfect person, you will fail. There are going to be many failings that you will, you will, you will accumulate in life. 
And religion keeps you in prison with the fear of accusation. Keeps you in prison with the fear that one day you'll be exposed for all the things that you have failed to do. And our idols keep lists of every screw-up. And when we get out of line, they repeat back to us the record of our failures. Just whispering in our ears. Don't, don't you remember when you did this and when you did that and when you failed to do this, when you didn't complete that? And they keep a record of wrongs. And a common response, and I think this is a common response, to the barrage of accusations that we sometimes feel in life is, is self-abuse. There was in Colossae a kind of religious activity that's hard to define, really, truly. If you read five commentaries, you'll get five different answers on, on what Paul's addressing here in Colossae. Uh, it's very, very difficult to discern exactly what it is. At times it appears like Judaism. At times it appears like paganism. At times it appears like Gnosticism. It's probably a combination of various things that are happening. But here you see that Paul is saying, let no one disqualify you in verse 18 insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with a, <laughs> without reason by his sensuous mind. He said there are some who are teaching this doctrine that if you could abuse your body enough in the religious system, you might have a religious experience. If you could just be brutal enough to your flesh that somehow you might have access to, to, this, to, to this religious experience. You see in verse 23 of Colossians 2, he says this, this religion, this self-made religion, this asceticism, it comes with severity to the body. Now, I want to say, you may not be tempted to harm your body in the aim of spiritual experience, although some people are. You may not be. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever pushed your body beyond its limit in your work to seek approval of others? I mean, ha- have, you ever, have you ever worked too much, given too much to your job, given too much to a relationship, given too much to, I mean, you fill in the blanks, just, just desperately seeking the approval? Or have you ever harmed your mind? Uh-oh. Have you ever harmed your mind with negative self-speak? in the attempt to punish yourself for your failures. You blew it, and you just can't let yourself forget it. And you drill that failure into your life, and you abuse yourself. And you may not be abusing your body, but you're abusing your mind with negative self-speak and defining yourself by your actions and defining yourself by your failures. Reminds me of, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Jesus. If, if you don't learn, by the way, friend, if you don't learn how to take your thoughts captive, they, they may start taking you captive. And there are many people today who are captive by negative talk. They just can't escape their own accusations, the accusations of their mind. And they're just coming at them all the time. And they are beating themselves up, but it doesn't seem to be working and, and producing in them the thing they hope it will produce. I should say to you, and you should hear this, your mind is not infallible. Simply thinking is true doesn't make a thought true. 
And there are many times in my life, and I'm sure there are many times in your life, where you've said things to yourself about yourself that are just false. They're not true. And they aren't gospel-informed. And so I want to give you three things today. Here are the three things. Where your identity is really found. What Jesus has done to your idols. This is good. This is good news. And how to work the gospel in everyday life. And so I want to tell you about the first one. This is, this is key. Where your identity is found. You see, your life is not an empty bucket that you have to fill up with religious effort. That's not what your life is. You have been, if you're a Christian, you have been filled with God himself. Now, if you're not a Christian, you should crave this. This is an amazing truth. Listen to Colossians 2, verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's Jesus. And you have, oh, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So he's above every power. All the elemental spirits of the world, he's above them all. He is, in Jesus, the fullness of God, and he has filled you up. And then Paul goes on to say, we gave you something. We gave you a gift. We gave you baptism. So you can have a visual for what's happened to you in your salvation. You see, in, in baptism, we put on display our new identity found in Jesus and Him alone. We find that He fills us up full of meaning, that He fills us up full of purpose, and He's given us salvation from sins once and for all, that He lived the life we couldn't live, and He died the death that we shouldn't die. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered our sin and death. And so Paul says, listen to the language here of, of Paul as he speaks about baptism, and our baptism as being an event that we, that we do at, to, to say that we are now with Christ with him in his death for us, with him in his burial for us, with him in his resurrection for us. Listen, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of the covenant, a sign of the promise. He said, you've received circumcision not made with hands. This is one that comes through faith alone and not through works. Have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. And so baptism, what is it? Baptism is a symbol of our new identity. Our new identity found and discovered in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes. You see, in the death that we experienced with Jesus, my sins died with Jesus. That's the reality I experienced. My sins dying with Jesus. That's what I know as a Christian. I know what happened when I was baptized into Christ. I was saying, yes, I am dying with him. Uh, more than that, I, I am allowing Christ to nail on the cross my sins and to pay the penalty for my sins. And so my sins are dying with Christ. And the burial it speaks to my, my sin was buried with Jesus. So Jesus, listen, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He buried my sins away. And the resurrection is proof that my sin was conquered by Jesus, overcome by him. See, Jesus was condemned for me that I might be free in him. Let me say it another way. Because of Jesus, I cannot be condemned for my sin. Hear me. Because of Jesus, I cannot 
be condemned for my sin. I am completely accepted by His righteousness. Listen to 13 and 14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, all of our sins, by canceling the record of debt. This leads me to the next point I want to explore with you. You see, your identity, it is found in Jesus. If you're a Christian, he, you cannot find your identity separate from Jesus. If you're a Christian, you can say with Paul, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. But it does something to your life and the way that you live your life. It does something to the idols in your life. So what has Jesus done to your idols? Well, Jesus has disarmed your idols. Disarmed your idols. Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them up in shame by triumphing over them in Him. See, your idols had, they, 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 they have certain weapons, primarily accusation, primarily calling, calling your attention to your failures and your shortcomings and your sins. See, your idols have power over you as long as they can convince you that you are still, you still have a debt to be paid and demands to be met. But listen again to the text. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he, went, he, did, he did away with the debt and he did away with the demands and he's freed you. And so when your idol accuses you, <laughs> it doesn't affect you. Why? Because you know the, the record has been dealt with. There, there are no more demands upon you. There's, which means there's, there's, no, there's, 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 there's no more uh, the, the desire. As it becomes real to you and true to you, the desire to perform, for, to, to prove your worthiness and to try to save yourself by your work, it, it, just, it begins to fade away. You see, the idolatry, tra idolatry trap looks like this. It's when you form your value. When, when, this is kind of the equation. My value equals your approval plus my performance. It's when you form your value around the approval of others and how well you perform on the stage of life. And what idols do they threaten you? They threaten you with judgment. They threaten you with disqualification. Which is why Paul says in verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, questioning your religious activity. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you. Why? Because Christ was judged for you once and for all. Then he says in verse 18, let no one disqualify you because of your religious practices. What's he saying? He said you can't be disqualified because you've been qualified in Christ. Like he qualified you. You see, the enemy has nothing on you. And therefore he can't control you. He has nothing on you. What's he going to do, accuse you of sin that Christ has paid for? What's he going to do, uh, accuse you of a shortcoming that Christ has overcome? Because every time he accuses you, all it does is glorify our Savior, who was better than your sin, who was a conqueror over your sin. And every time the enemy highlights your sin, all it does is shine a brighter light on the glory of Jesus. And so it's like the enemy comes to this fight if we are Bible-believing Christians. The enemy comes to this fight with a toy gun. I, I've, I, I didn't celebrate well 
May the 4th this year. I, I want to apologize to you officially for that. Uh, I didn't wear any Star Wars gear. I did like a meme or two on the internet. My favorite one is of Princess Leia, Leia, <laughs> Leia, Princess Leia and her gun shooting pews. That's my favorite meme on the internet. But this is the kind of toy gun, I mean, fantasy weapon the enemy shows up with in our lives if we believe the gospel. See, every time you hear accusation, respond with the gospel. That's all you have to do. Every time the enemy comes at you with, with, with accusation, every time you feel an accusation in your spirit, in your soul, all you got to do is respond with the gospel. When the enemy says, you will never be good enough, you say, Jesus was good enough for me. When the enemy says, you are not acceptable, you say, I'm fully accepted in Jesus. When the enemy says, you've not done enough, you say, Jesus was more than enough for me. When the enemy says, this makes you ugly, you say, Jesus has made me beautiful. See, when the enemy says, you are a terrible mom, come on now. You say, Jesus was everything I can't be for me. You see, I think perhaps your sadness and mine at times, perhaps your sadness right now has to do with the fact that you are spending too much time listening to yourself, listening to the accusations. And not enough time preaching the gospel to yourself. I just want to review with you five points that we've covered so far in the talk today. Your sins are forgiven. Your debt is canceled. If you're a Christian today, there are no more legal demands to meet. Uh, No one can judge you unworthy. No one can disqualify you from the faith. Because you're not justified by what you have done. You're justified by what Christ has done on your behalf. Your hope is not in your performance. It is in Christ's performance on your behalf. And don't you see how he disarmed the idols? He's freed you. Freed you from everything that you fear. Every judgment that you fear, he has freed you from. So the three things we want to talk about today is where your identity is found, what Jesus has done to your idols, and how to work the gospel into everyday life. Look, I want to encourage you to escape the captivity of your idols. Escape the captivity of your idols and become a captive of Jesus and live with his freedom. Become a captive of Jesus and live with his freedom. We open the study today in verse 8 where the scripture says, see to it that no one takes you captive. And then in verse 19, there's a curious phrase. And do not hold fast. He says, basically, in verse 18, don't do this religious thing and fail to hold fast to the head from whom the whole body nourishes and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. In other words, he's encouraging us to hold fast to the head. The word hold fast here could also be translated arrest, capture, take captive. And he's saying, "Don't don't be a captive to religion, but take captive the gospel. Take hold of the freedom that Christ has given you. Listen to Galatians 5.1. The Apostle Paul speaking. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Take captive your freedom in Jesus. Take him as the head. 
and work, your, work yourself into the body of Christ. You see, to work the gospel in everyday life, you need Jesus and the church. So holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. It grows. We need each other to grow. We need the head, who is Jesus, but we need each other to grow. And sometimes the accusations are so strong that we need a brother or sister to share them with us, to to share them with, to share the accusations with. And we need them to preach the gospel to us. And we, we need them to pray the gospel into us. In fact, we need a good brother or sister to hear those accusations and to pray the gospel into our hearts until it explodes with meaning. And you've got to hold on to the truth. Work the truth in your everyday life. And sometimes you just can't do it alone. You need community. Friend, I, I, I want to encourage you today that you can hold on because Jesus held on for you. Like you can't hold on because Jesus held on for you. He lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered your sin and death. He's given you His righteousness and the Holy Spirit to say, yes, that's true. And you can hold on with the church that is holding on with you. I mean, there's something powerful when you get around a community of people who are all redeemed and saved sinners, who recognize that they are now in possession of Christ's righteousness, and because they've been baptized with Jesus, and they put on display uh, this reality of having put Him on, dying to the old, dying to the old life, bearing it away, rising to the new life. That the, when you get around a group of people who are all confessing together, that it's no longer I who live, <laughs> who lives, but Christ who lives within me. When you get a whole group of people around who say, "My allegiance is solely to Jesus and Him alone." And they start living out the freedom of the gospel. Man, that is a remarkable thing. And we need each other. And we, we, need, we need community. So I want to challenge you uh, just to practice community in the ways that we can during this time. To, to, call, to call people that you know at church, to call your friends and family, to pastor them, to pray for them, to speak the gospel to them. We, we need to hear the good news of Jesus from one another. One of, the, one of the most powerful things you could do this week is just, just ask the Lord, who needs to hear a word from God? And just listen. Say, Father, who needs to hear a word from you? Give me a word to share, a scripture to share, an encouragement to give, this space in the gospel. And then just see who God brings to your mind and call him. We, look, we, I, I, I do believe you can hold on with the church that's holding on with you. And man, we, need, we need to hold on together. All right. So we get our talks at New City with a call to generosity, communion, and prayer. Uh, last week I talked about our, our, first, uh, our first big give of our Be Good News initiative. 
Uh, we gave $10,000 away to ministries that are caring for, uh, uh, that are they're on the front lines of advancing the kingdom in various ways, whether it be uh, Cita de Gracia or um, Across Nations and Evo Nations or, or the Shine School Partnership. Uh, we have been able to, uh, to partner with the Mexico Dream Center and helping uh, those who are most vulnerable in our community. I mean, just unbelievable what God was able to do through that. And I was so proud of our church, and uh, we'll tell some stories later about what all that means. But $10,000 is a lot for our church to give away, and I'm so proud of you. If you want to know more about Be Good News, you can go to begoodnews.church. Uh, we want to give everybody every opportunity to make a commitment to Be Good News. And so if you want to make your commitment to Be Good News uh, and you haven't already, uh, I want you to text BGN uh, to 505-302-3821, or you can just go on to BeGoodNews.Church and do that. We want everyone to have the opportunity to, to make a commitment uh, who, who feels called by God to make a commitment. Uh, we end services with generosity, communion, and prayer. So I want to challenge you to have communion at home. Break their bread. Remember Christ's body broken for you. Take the cup. Remember his blood shed for you. Um, just confess the Lordship of Jesus of your family. And, um, and live in light of the freedom of Jesus. And we've been ending our services in a prayer, and I would love for you to, to pray along with me. Uh, as I read the prayer aloud, we can just all read together wherever we are. It's one of the ways that together we can hold fast together. We can hold together to the hope we have in Jesus. And so let's pray together, and we'll end our, service, our teaching time today. Uh, Father, you have not given us a spirit of slavery. Uh, we are free in you. Help us to live freely. Free us to love. Free us from self-centeredness. Free us to show mercy. Free us from unforgiveness. Free us to receive your righteousness. And free us from our enemies' accusations. And all the church said, Amen. God bless.